Welcome to the Jalal Azar podcast presenting Breaking Resistance. I'm Jalal John Azar. And I'm Francisco Herrera. And we're talking with entrepreneurs who have reached the peak through breaking barriers and obstacles in their personal and business journey to educate and inspire you to break your own resistance. Welcome, everybody, to another interesting episode. It's going to be a fun one today for a lot of you listeners. I'm sure you guys have have heard of this guest. We have a special guest here today. But before I want to, I'm here today also with uh, the bearded legend, the man, the myth, the legend, John. John, how are you doing this morning, John? What's up? What's up? What's up, everybody? Thank you for joining us. And yes, the our guest today needs no intros. He is... Absolutely not. He's a, he, He's a just marketing machine he's just out there you've probably seen him everywhere on linkedin because the guy never skips a day he, on is, posting, LinkedIn. Sure. he is linkedin he is linkedin he, he i is think LinkedIn. he really is I, I think i think he's somewhat of a stakeholder of the entire linkedin headquarters i mean the guy is he's he a is machine. LinkedIn. he's like he's like that face like you know on all these apps like like clubhouse has like this guy on, on that's the face of clubhouse the, the, jerome is the face of linkedin like you know he's done opening it's like jerome so he uh, is well, the man Jerome Myers, welcome to the show, brother. Gentlemen, 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 so great to be with you. I'm offended that I wasn't the first guest, but I will charge it to your head and not your heart. You are always, <laughs> you are always the first guest you. in my eye, brother. You're always the first guest. <laughs> so you are always my first guest. <laughs> Francisco, oh, he's selling you up the, up the stream, man. It's your fault. What happened? How didn't I get I know, the I'll take the blame on it. That's yeah, why there's for, two for of us. That's why there's two of us. This is good cop, bad cop. I mean, that's why it works. So, you know, it's, I, I, I use him as bad cop whenever I need to. And he uses yeah, me so, as bad cop. So when John <laughs> drops the ball, he's able to blame it on me. And so, and if I drop the ball, it's still blamed on me. So it, it, it works perfect. We need a fall guy. We need a fall guy. <laughs> yeah, we need one more. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, yeah. Look, yeah. look, at, look at what I'm using today. I yeah, took the red pill. You gotta have it. You gotta have it. You gotta have it. Switch my switch my daily uh, my daily incantation to uh, I took the red pill. So, but and then uh, we're gonna dive into that because I'm very interested as into your take with the whole uh, taking the whole red pill. I love it. I love I, I love the whole concept of it, and I'm a big fan of the Matrix, by the way, as well. So, um, <laughs> so we'll definitely dive in, get some get some juice out of you. So, um, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Although I said yeah. I'm offended, I'm I'm grateful and honored that you guys would even consider having me on as a guest. So super excited to be with you today, and hopefully we can drop some bombs for the listeners. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. absolutely. You, know, so. you know it's coming. Just as a just as a quick background, Jerome is a uh, he's he's everything. He's a he's 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 a syndicator. He's a sponsor. He's a coach. Uh, he's a mentor. He is. Um, He's all over the place in the industry, man. You got you got all kinds of stuff going on. So, um, why don't you why don't you tell the audience just a little quickly, just a little bit about yourself, like uh, you know, just a you know thirty thirty thousand foot view, and then we can dive in, man. Yeah. So, I guess at the highest level, I just call myself a corporate America dropout. Um, I was fortunate enough to build a twenty million dollar division for a Fortune five fifty. My reward for that was paying people off two years in a row. And the first time I did it, I promised myself I would never do it again. That second time, I realized I've, this isn't going to change. I've got to do something different. And so I, I left and thought I was going to go buy an apartment building. Went to the bank, knocked on the door, said, hey, don't you want to give me a million dollars to go buy this thing? And he said, no. I said, well, what do you mean? And he said, well, you don't have any experience. I said, what do you mean I don't have experience? I just built this huge business. I went from two employees to 175 employees in eight or nine months. Like, how can I not run a 23-unit apartment building? It's like, yeah, you've never done it before, so you don't have any experience. I said, well, I've got an MBA, and I got an engineering license, and I, I got all these credentials that people in corporate America care about. And he said, but we don't. We want to know that you've done this before. And so my grand plan for my escape from the matrix was foiled. And so I didn't just give up, though. So I went and tried it again. And then I tried it again. And then I tried it five or six more times. And they all told me no. And so I decided that I had to do something because you know, I only had a year's worth of savings on my expenses. So I had to create money some way. And so 
I went and I started fixing and flipping. I'd been lending money to some other guys who were in the market while I had my job. And I was like, they're not that much smarter than me, but like, I've got to be able to figure this thing out. And so I started doing that. Then I remember driving to one of the properties at about five o'clock one morning and thinking to myself, I'm working harder now than I did before. What was the point? And I'm not making any money because when you're fixing and flipping, all your money's going out. And so fast forward, we, I'm sitting on the stoop. My biggest project to date is a 1920s build. It is a $90,000 rehab. And uh, we're going through it and we take lunch and I'm sitting on the stoop. And uh, a guy pulls up in a white Dodge Ram. And he looks at me and he says, hey, bud, I'm getting ready to do a deal down the street. I want to come in and check out your finishes. And I smile and I stand up and poke my chest out. Somebody wants to see what we're doing. I'm a real player now. And he walks in. He's like, man, you took that wall out and the island looks amazing. And ooh, look at that gooseneck sink. And we go upstairs, <laughs> show him the, uh, the tile in the bathroom. And he's like, man, these are some nice choices. We might have to step up our game a little bit. And he's like, man, I really appreciate you showing me around. He walks back down and he's about to walk out the front door and he stops in the threshold. He looks back. He says, hey, you need anything about that property behind the Chimbo Mart? And I was like, yeah, that 23 unit apartment building? He's like, yeah, that one. I was like, yeah, I tried to buy that four or five months ago, but the bank told me that they weren't willing to lend to me because I didn't have any experience. And he said, well, I'm going to make an offer on that. I said, you're the guy I've been looking for. They told me to get an experience partner. And you're not going to offer on this thing if you don't have any experience. He kind of looked at me and said, what are you going to bring to the table? I said, I don't know. We'll figure that out. Just don't leave me out. You're the person that I need in order to go to the next level. He said, but what are you going to bring to the table? And I just kind of looked at him and said, we'll figure it out. And so he shook his head and he walked down the stairs, walked through the grass, hopped in his pickup and drove off. And I just knew my phone was going to ring that night. And then I thought it was going to ring by Friday. And then I was like, okay, well, he needs to get through the weekend. He'll call me on Monday. And then the next Friday came and went. And then the next one came and went. And I realized that this guy was not going to call me. Man, this is starting to sound so, like my, usual, my, my, my dating stories back in the day. Damn, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll be honest with you. I, I think partnerships are like dating and marriage, right? And so... Then the phone rings one day, and it's one of the guys I, I used to lend money to. And he's like, hey, this guy reached out to me. He said he wants to buy that project we talked about four or five months ago. He wanted me to come in and be the contractor on it. I told him I was only comfortable doing it if you were part of the deal. And I was like, really? He said, yeah, can you come to a meeting today? Absolutely. And so fast forward, we get through the deal. We get under contract. And after you close, if you buy from a brokerage, they always do a press release. There's always some type of article written. And that article had Rising Star partners with, I don't know, something like seasoned investors to rehab townhomes. And I saw the article. I was like, who are they talking about? <laughs> They're talking about me. I was fortunate enough to be the asset manager on the opportunity. And the role reversal happened. The bank started calling me. They wanted to know what else we had in pipeline, how we figured out what we were going to do on the refi. They wanted to know if we could go to lunch so that they could show me their products. It's like, man, I just remember a year ago when you didn't even care about me or anything I was, had going on. So we formed some relationships. We still own that project today, but I took those, I took those relationships and I, I can't move from Virginia to North Carolina and started buying and building a portfolio here in Greensboro. And no. kind of been doing that ever since. And that's amazing. 20, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. a good story. That's a good that's, story. That's, I love it. Yeah. No, and it's still a rising star. He's still showing up. So, I mean, the, 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 <laughs> I think that's gonna, that pretty much stuck with you for a long time. So, which is good. But we want, yeah. we, uh, what, what I want to do is I want to backtrack a little bit. I want to I kind of 
see your um how how it was for you when you were coming up i will we're, we're gonna get to the juice part as far as how you how you're building your your real estate empire for sure but i want the listeners to really know exactly what was it that really ignited that entrepreneurial spirit how it started how, <laughs> how it started running your come up that's it baby that's it <laughs> gotta keep yeah. it close gotta keep it close <laughs> So, you know, I'm the son of a soldier and a stay-at-home mom. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm my mom's greatest accomplishment. You know, she made a career out of raising me. And when I was able to take care of myself, her job was done. My dad, Are you an only kid? Yeah, I am an only child. I am. Nice. My dad, he was, you know, like I said, he was a soldier, right? So he would work Carolina half days. Most people don't know what that is if you're not from the Carolinas. You, you get to pick which half of the day you work. So you work from 6 to 6 or you work from 6 p.m. to 6 p.m. Half the day is what he worked. And I still remember being in the front yard with my mom one day and I could hear the trash truck coming. And I would always get excited when the trash truck came. And we were third house in on the right. And so it would stop, get the trash, stop, get the trash. And then they come to me. And Lonnie would be hanging off the back of the trash truck and he'd see me grinning and smiling. He'd point at me when he hopped off the truck. He flipped the top of the lid off. It'd spin around like a quarter that you dropped and fall flat. He'd do a little pirouette, dump the trash <laughs> in the back, then spin it back like a frisbee to the corner. It hit the curve just perfect, never fall over. And then he'd look at me and he'd see me, I'd be telling him to pull it so that he could crush the trash. He gave me the wink and the finger, you know, the finger gun. He pulled the <laughs> handle and I would just go crazy, right? Because it smashed the trash up. And I was like, man, you know, mommy, I want to be a trash man. <laughs> and she looked at me as only a mom could do. And she said, baby, that's not going to afford you the lifestyle that you want to live. Don't you like your Nikes and your Jordache jeans and your whatever kind of shirt you're wearing. And I was like, yeah. She said, well, you got to get a job that affords you the lifestyle you want to live. And I said, You should have said, mom, they're unionized. I will get all these things. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think so in Fayetteville. So maybe up north. So we're there and she's shaking her head as she sees my innocence being drained from my body. I said, but Lonnie's at home when his kids get out of school. He can play with them when they get home because, you know, he's going to work maybe earlier than my dad. I don't know. But she said, well, maybe you can own the trash company, but you can't just be a trash man. You're not dreaming big enough. And so it was at that point that I made a connection. Hey, you go, you go and do the work so you can make money. So fast forward. I decided when I was um, going through high school, it's like, okay, well, what do I want to do? And so I go talk to Mr. Ayers and I say, Mr. Ayers, he was my physics teacher. You know, I, I want to be a psychologist or an engineer. Like, which one do you think I'll be better at? And he said, well, Jerome, I think you could do either one. He said, but one pays more when you get started. And I said, which one is that? He said, engineering by far. And so I looked at him. I was like, um, Okay. And I chose to be an engineer solely based on that interaction I had with my mom when I was four or five years old. And so I I did that and I got the big starting salary and was going and progressing through the ranks and ended up having a pretty lucrative corporate career. And then I got to the place where I realized that it was all about money. And I realized that I didn't want to live my life based on trading my time for money. I wanted to actually make my money based on the impact I was making. And that was something that was a pretty dramatic shift for me. And absolutely, a number of them th- along the way, but that one was pretty big. No, absolutely. I think by far when you can really change uh, your, your way of thinking from getting paid based off on your results and not getting paid for just your time, I mean, it, it pays in dividends. It pays so much more because you're more driven for you to actually uh, push for you to actually drive results. I mean, like the more results you you bring to the table, you know, you're going to get compensated for those results versus you're just sitting there in a cubicle, nine to five job, just putting in your time, clocking in, clocking out, 
I mean, you're not really doing much. So, I mean, you're going to get paid for your time. You're not going to get paid for results. So well, it's, it's, it's a lot funny. different. It's funny you bring that up, Francisco, because you know what my experience was? I made $6 million in profit for that division that we built. And my, my bonus that year was 30 grand. Wow. And I had a conversation with the guy I reported to, and I said, hey, you know, do I really, you really going to make me ask you for a raise this year? And he said, you're already overpaid. What do you mean? <laughs> what do you mean? Wow. <laughs> That's corporate just, America for you, brother. That's yeah. corporate America for you. Now, now, just to put things in perspective, I talked to people every other week. I saw them once a quarter. Like, it wasn't like I had much support outside of what we were doing. It was me at the tip of the spear and then the team that we built in order to deliver the result. Mm-hmm. So, you know, to think that I was overpaid was, but it was all relative to what other people were getting compensated for. And, you know, at of the course. end of the day, you're only going to get paid as much as they want to force pay you. people to pay you, right? It's, mm-hmm. it's not a function of that. And so, you know, if I, if I take everything full circle and just kind of put a bow on it, my goal when I left corporate America was to not put return uh, profits to shareholders at the top of my list. I wanted to go out and make a positive impact on the world, find some people who were working on some amazing things and solve some problems for them. And then doing that, I felt like I would be able to just create an amazing life for me and be that good luck charm for all those around me who were looking to be innovators, thought leaders, and the like all over the country. That's awesome. That's amazing. That's awesome. It really is amazing. In, 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 In keeping with that, I'm going to ask, I'm, I'm, my questions are going to be all over the place. So I'm, you know, I'm going to go back and forth with you in, in keeping with that sort of um, karma right now, I'm going to say in, 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 in what lens do you see the world in general? And then the second part of that question, in, in what lens do you see people at large? In the world, I I think we live in an amazing place that's full of opportunity. I think the vast majority of the things that happen in the world are amazing. And I think that we take those for granted and we enjoy relishing and living in the suffering piece of it because it gives us something to talk about. We, We like to talk about the extremes. We like to talk about the atrocities. We don't talk about the amazing success stories and put them on a platform so people can see that it's a possibility. I think in general, people are good. I think that people want to do the right thing. But I do think there are some people who've been hurt. And so they're just giving back to the world what they've been given. And eventually, we all get the opportunity to decide what happens when something shows up in our world that we don't like or we don't appreciate. And we can either reciprocate it or we can bury it and play at a higher level and respond to that thing with love. And I guess that's just kind of the highest order for me. I think the only law is love. And if you handle people in and with love, you'll have an amazing life. And you know, you, you get that's to amazing. attract people who are operating in that space. That's good stuff. That's good stuff. Where's where's that clapping uh, sound that we had before? That was that was that was pretty good, man. That's good. That's a good nugget. There you go. There you go. There you go. <laughs> that is awesome. That is awesome. No, that's that's amazing. It's 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 a great perspective. It really is. It's a really great way to actually uh, see see the world and to really see things how they're actually moving. I mean, I mean, me and John, we talk about it a lot. You really don't know how good you really have it until you really kind of see everything you really have in life compared to other people who can't even, can't even relate to the type of life that you're living right now. And, and, and likewise, yeah. you know, if you go to the other end of the spectrum, we can't relate to what other people live and no. their lifestyle and, and good or bad up or down. I mean, you know, it's the same, it's the same way. I, you know, I can't yeah. relate to somebody who's, who's got, you know, five yacht and four different airplanes. And I can't relate to also to somebody who's, you know, uh, living on the street and can't can't make it, and is is trying to trying to earn something to eat for tonight. So I mean, same 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 thing. I think you know, uh, we have we yeah. we have to all keep our life in perspective and appreciate what we have. 
Yeah. I I can though. I, I've been to I, I I know what it's like not to have money for food, but that was more because I was too proud to tell my parents that I I didn't have any money, right? Um, I know what it's like to be stressed financially. I know what it's like to have enough money that the bills show up and you pay all of them and you look around and you're like, okay, now what else can I get? Because I have an abundance. And I can tell yeah. you life's a whole lot better abundant. But oh yeah, 100%. I, I think what we can do, regardless of where we are, is be empathetic, right? And be 100%. understanding and take the time to be patient with people because they can only interact and engage with you from the level that they're at. And, you know, I, your listeners are going to be uber wealthy mm-hmm. folks who are doing things at a really high level. And you're right. They probably won't be able to relate, but they can be, they can be patient and they can be interested. And I think being interested is the thing that's going to improve, continue to improve the world in a way that we haven't seen in a long time. I think empathy and understanding is is and you know is are probably most essential for all of us. We don't we don't necessarily have to understand and fully be in somebody else's shoes, but if we have that empathy and understanding to to somebody else and and give them the grace and um, you know I guess the hope and the space, hopefully that you know we we will you know uh, we we could we could get along no matter what and 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 hopefully understand their viewpoint. Uh, I, I, at least that's how I operate. You know, most of the time in my life, I try to most of the time in my life. Without question, that's definitely who you are as a person. Well, I appreciate that. I appreciate that. How, how do you, how do you tack? So, so this is a two part question, and they both seem like they are very similar, but they are different. This, these two questions I'm going to ask you: How do you tackle adversity? And in your life, and what was the biggest adversity? That was that's one question. And the second question is, what affected you the most in your life? What, what, what was the biggest effect in your life? And these two may seem similar questions, but they are not. Mm-hmm. I think the, the first question is heavy. Um, so in 2020, every deal that I worked fell apart. And the conference that I thought was going to help pay my bills didn't happen until later in the year. So imagine having all your income for the first six months of the year evaporate. And you've been putting money in real estate projects, so you're not liquid. Imagine having legal proceedings going on and so your accounts are frozen and you can't access some of them and you've got to figure out how you're going to make money. And I've been somebody who's had access to money more often than not. And so the thought of being poor again was absolutely terrifying. And there was a ton of stress eating. There was a ton of just sleepless nights trying to figure it out. Like, what am I going to do? And the questioning of, well, do you abort the mission? Do you abort the mission? And for me, the mission is freeing 100 people from work they're not passionate about. And just go back into corporate get a job and and try to to figure it out. And oh, by the way, people might not be hiring since we're in the middle of a pandemic, especially not somebody that's going to be on the higher end of the spectrum from a pay compensation or a compensation standpoint. And so I had to make the choice whether I was going to abort the mission or continue to go. And the question that I continue to ask myself on a pretty regular basis, maybe a daily basis was, will my gifts make room for me? And so what am I good at? I'm the how guy. I think a lot of people know what they want to do. I think some people know why they want to do it. Very few people know how to get done what they want to do if they've never done it before and they don't have a model kind of step-by-step to follow. That's why most people have jobs because there's a process that's been created and they follow the process in order to get it done. It's easy. It's easy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Very few people are ready to just go out and figure out something, draw the play in the mud and then run that actual play. I'm really good at figuring out how to get from where we are to where we want to go. And so how do I embed myself into a person's life so that when the highs of the highs come, I'm in the top two or three people they want to call and talk about it. And when the lowest of the lows happen, the same thing shows up. 
where they want to talk to me because they know that I can, one, bring calm, two, help them create the strategy to navigate the thing, and then three, support them as they make the journey from out of that place to the new place. And what I found was I didn't have a good message. I didn't put that in front of the right people. And because that, I wasn't able to convert, right? Because if you let me into your world, you'll feel like you just got a good luck charm. Things that you've been trying to do, things that you've wanted will begin to happen without fail. But I wasn't able to figure that out. And so in that desperation of, I've got to make this work, I've got to make this happen, and I've got to put that in front of the right people who can actually afford to compensate me for the time that it takes to do this. I went through that adversity. I couldn't avoid it anymore. And I think the last piece that answers this question, John, is... I had spent a bunch of time saying that it was everybody else's fault why I was dealing with the stuff I was dealing with. And the moment that I said, it doesn't matter if this person didn't do this or that person failed to do that and anything else, it was all my fault. I made all the decisions that led to us being in this place. My life changed. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It wasn't happening to me. It was happening for me. And that's when my life changed. That's when my messaging, for some reason, got magically clear and concise. And that's when it, things started to convert for me in a, in, a really, in a way that I couldn't see prior to going through that. I talked so long, I forgot the second half of your question. <laughs> <laughs> no, this the is second, good. The second this half of the good. question is what affected you the most in your life? Yeah. So I think it would probably be there's a few different ones, but I'll, I'll go to the one that's earliest because I think that's when we really decide our trajectory. And so in eighth grade, I had a teammate friend that we went through elementary school together and now we were teammates on the middle school football team who I said, hey, Jarrell, let's, um, let's go to the game tonight. My mom's going to take me to the game. I want you to come with me. And my mom used to take me to high school football games to get me excited, kind of vision cast, get me exposed, talk to me about playing under the lights and that kind of stuff. Wanted me to dream big. And, you know, I'd run around, get my pizza and my popcorn and my soda, and I'm seeing the guys and watching the band, all et cetera. So I didn't call them, right? So me and my, it was just me and my mom. We went to the game. So Saturday morning, I get up, phone call. Hey, did you hear what happened? No, what are you talking about? Jarrell's dead. Huh? Jarrell's dead. What are you talking about? He was just at school yesterday. Yeah, last night he died. This doesn't make sense. Go to school Monday. Counselors are there. They're trying to figure everything out. So... What happened, according to other reports, is he was with some other people. They were taking shots. He played Russian roulette, and he lost. And I didn't call him. I'm the guy that didn't call him to keep him out of that situation. And so it was at that point that I realized that when you don't keep your word, Somebody can die. And so when, when I embed myself in people's lives, I'm a friend like they've never had. If I tell you I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it. I'm going to tell you I'm not going to do it. Or I'm going to do everything that I possibly can and show you how I did everything I could before I felt it getting it done. Yeah. Period. Mm-hmm. And so powerful. I've lived that's, my life that way since that's deep. I was 13. That's a hell of a thing to happen to a 13 year old. Wow. That's like everybody has a, a different experience as far as how they will, how it will actually mold them. But at 13 years old, for you to have to go through something like that. <laughs> 
That's pretty deep. And carry it and carry it on you. And carry that. That you, that it was, that it was absolutely your fault that, that, that this happened. And, you know, even though it wasn't, but you were carrying that with you. But again, we do what I was supposed to do. You know what I mean? Yeah. But again, we, 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 we learn from all of that. I mean, again, that it's what made you today to actually continue to actually, to not make that same mistake to carry on what you're going to say and to carry on what you, if you say you're going to do something, you do it because again, you learned it the hard way. It's not your fault. I mean, you're a 13 year old. I mean, not everybody can actually, any 13 year old is, wouldn't actually see it that way. You know what I mean? But again, you learn from it for you to kind of mold you and build you into who you are today. I know. I, I would. I would I'm going to disagree. I'm going to. I think a 13 year old would see it exactly that way. I think really? a lot of most 13 year olds would see it that way because they have. You know, you they don't know enough yet, or they don't know about themselves enough to to figure out that hey, I you know, there are other people's psychological issues are not mine, and mm-hmm. I don't cause that to other people. But you know, that's a heavy burden. That's a really heavy burden to have. Yeah. No, and and I want to, I kind of want to go a little bit back as as to what you touched on, um, because we hear this a lot on some of our guests when they when they mention when they say that they're poor. Um, what what's your perspective on that as far as what the meaning of being poor really is? Yeah, I mean, let me be clear. Everything that I've ever had to deal with is first world problems, right? Like I haven't ever been homeless. I haven't ever had to go days without eating. Like there's always been something available. If I didn't eat, it was because I didn't go ask somebody, right? Not because it wasn't available. It was probably self-inflicted or self-imposed. But what I can say is I remember when having $200 in the bank made me feel like I was king of the world. I can still remember that. If I saw $200 in the bank today, I would be frantic, right? I think Mm -hmm. a lot of people um, feel good about having mountains of debt. And they might not consider them mountains, but mountains of debt. I don't like debt that I have to pay, right? I'm more than willing to borrow money for uh, apartments. That's a big part of our business. We generate a ton of revenue on a monthly basis that way. But if I have to pay the debt, I don't really want it. And here's a great You mean you talk about you talk about personal debt, not not business debt. Business debt only if somebody else is paying it. Right? Like I don't want to borrow money for salary. I don't want to borrow I I want something that other people are going to pay. So again, I really from a business debt perspective. I really only want the business debt to be tied to the real estate that we own. Everything else I, I really want to, because I don't like the debt service. I don't like the obligation. And an example of that is, you know, I just bought a car last week and it's the first car that I've bought for myself in 10 years. Kind of. To keep long range. I bought some other stuff, but anyway. So that car the question was, well, you know, debt is really cheap right now. Why don't you finance that instead of paying for it? I don't want the debt service. I don't want that bill to show up in the mailbox each month. I want to look at it and know that I own it. And when last year, when my income got turned off for a while, but all the bills kept coming in, and I didn't have access to the cash that I wanted to have access to to feel good about sending this money away, I got really, really uncomfortable. And the other piece of that is, you know, if you're living by the deal, you don't know when you're going to close the next deal. And so it leads you to start hoarding, right? You're you're scared to put money on the street because you don't know when it's going to come back. And I realized that I was doing that. And because I was doing that, I was messing up the energetic flow that comes with money. I remember when I had a job, I, 
I knew that the job wasn't guaranteed. I knew it wasn't safe. At any moment, because I was at at will employee, somebody could say, hey, your, your last day is today or your last check will come in two weeks, whatever it was. And that, for some reason, I, I didn't have any scarcity mindset. I always felt like more was going to come. But now the buck stops with me. I'm responsible for revenue generation. And if I didn't know when the next thing was going to come, now it's like, oh, man, I, I got to make sure that I, I don't put money in the street because I'm scared I'm going to run out. And through that process, I, I, the process of the last 18 months or so, I, I've just learned so much and I, I think so much differently now. That's awesome. I, I think I think it's the predictability that that is that comes with a um, like a normal nine to five corporate job that you know that that comes even though it's not necessarily as you said a safe per se. Um, and 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 I wanted to correct myself for something I said earlier. It's not easy jobs. I don't mean to say that 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 nine to five jobs are easy by any mean or any stretch of the imagination. And, and, and entrepreneurship is not for everybody by, by any stretch of the imagination as well. I, I always say that to people, look, you, do, you, you, you have to learn how to breathe. And if you can't breathe as an entrepreneur, it's not for you. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it, you can't, you, we all have to have oxygen. And if, and if you cannot figure out how to get oxygen into your system, then don't be an entrepreneur. Because you, at the end of the day, especially if, if life is more complicated for you, if you have a family, if you have kids, if you have somebody to support, you know, it's not just you anymore. So, you know, you can't just say, well, I'm going to be an entrepreneur at all costs. No, nah, you know, the cost is pretty high when you, there's other people that are depending on you for that. And you have to ta- take that into effect. So I by no mean begrudging nine to five corporate America. Um, you know, it's, it's for, for many people, for a lot of people in this world. And, and a lot of people can't afford to, to become entrepreneurs or they, they just, you know, whether it's through their circumstances or life or whatever, there's a difference between can't afford and don't want to, or being scared to, to do that. And, and, and you touch on that a lot. Uh, and I admire that you know, because you push people, Jerome, through your work and through your coaching and through your you know, podcast and stuff like that to step outside of their comfort zone. And that's something I've always been a believer in, you know, stepping outside of the comfort zone is that's, that should be a daily ritual for people. In fact, it was a daily ritual for me. But, you know, that's how I got raised up in the industry as, as one of my first mentors and, and coaches and, and bosses in, in, in when I was doing equity trading. It taught me to step out of my comfort zone every single day. And that's, you know, in small ways or, or big ways. But, you know, it, it, could be, it could be in small ways. So you know, I understand that. So, but, the, you know, these, these are completely different types of comforts that we, that we are seeking. And, and I admire you for, you know, all, all the things that you do on both sides of the equation. You know, my, my position has changed on that part over the last year. I think, um, I do think having a job is easy because most of the outcomes are, are predefined for you. You got to do this. And here's all the support and infrastructure you need in order to accomplish that task. I think for the folks who are going out into the wild, and particularly they're going into the desert. There's not an abundance of resources, right? If you needed to go print 100 copies right now, how are you going to do that? You, you probably don't have a printer at your house where you can do that, especially if you wanted to do it in color. But if you're in the office, you hit the click button, it, for more than likely, that thing is done. And so the amount of infrastructure and support that you have in a nine-to-five job, I think makes it... They set you up for success. They make it a whole lot easier. Um, and it doesn't mean that it's bad that you decide that that's the way that you want to earn your living, right? That's, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. But I, I do think it is an easier route. And I interviewed one guy, and it, it's kind of shifted me. And I interviewed him probably four or five months ago. And he had somewhere between six and 10 kids. And he said... I couldn't support somewhere my... between six and ten kids. Yeah, is that what you said? Yeah, he said. <laughs> did he did he lose track of his kids? Well, like, I, I don't can't understand. remember. Six and he ten. That's a, that's a big delta. <laughs> I can't remember. It's I don't a know what I got. I got six, maybe seven, maybe twelve kids. I, I don't know what I got. <laughs> I can't remember. But the, the the thing that he said was, 
I couldn't support my kids on whatever money that I would have been able to make as a corporate employee. So I had to go out and build something massive so that I could take care of my family. And I just bring that up because you're talking about, well, maybe you got a family and they're counting on you. Some people use that as a reason why they have to versus the reason why they can't. Absolutely. And we all get to decide what the thing is and we get to mm-hmm. position it so that potentially it serves us. Because it's always my goal oh, to have yeah. things in my life that serve us. So I, I just want to sprinkle that in for the listeners. No, no, no. I, I agree, no, man. Amazing. Hey, listen, man, if you got a soccer team at home you got to support, then, uh, you know, you got you, you to gotta, you gotta switch some things around, brother. You can't, <laughs> your job ain't going to cut the trick anymore. You can't, you can't service a soccer team with a, with, with a nine to five job sometimes. Absolutely. I agree. I agree. Sometimes we have to, we have to play to whatever uh, demands that we have in our life. And if the demand is, is to satisfy, you know, the, the, the whatever beast that we have to chase down and slay every day, then that's what we have to do. And, and, if, and, and being an entrepreneur, if, if that's the only way, then that is the only way. I completely agree with you, 100%. Yeah. And, it, and it brings us back to what really ignites the entrepreneur spirit, as I, as I had uh, asked you earlier. I mean, we all have to go through something to really ignite that. Sometimes we don't even know, hey, we're meant for business and you've been in a nine to five for, let's say, 20 years. And then 20, 25 years later, it finally hits you, man, I sh- I'm supposed to be an entrepreneur. And that ignited it for you to kind of take that leap. But again, it's never late, but you just really have to kind of look at, okay, I have, to ad- I have to adapt. I have to do something for me to either take care of my family or like John said, make sure that I can take my kids to the soccer game because I got 10 kids for me to make sure that they're all playing club. You know what I mean? So it's, it's just, it's something that's going to ignite that entrepreneurial spirit. Sure. For some, it's early. For some, it's late. For everybody, yeah. it's right yeah. on the time that it's supposed to be. It's on time, on time. Yes, absolutely. And um, to touch on, because I know you touched on that last year was a really tough year for you, for, um, especially with the whole pandemic and COVID. Um, I, I didn't see that. And, and so I want to kind of take, I want to I wanna see what your thought process was uh, as far as everybody's going through the pandemic. Some people are contracting. Some people are really just going all in. How are you? How are you handling that? Like, just I mean, I didn't see it. I saw it literally. You were just expanding, going all in. You were everywhere. I would always hear about you. You're on podcasts. You're on LinkedIn. Like, how did you handle that to be able to not show the the struggles you're going through? I. But at the same time, you're just going all in. I don't think I didn't not show the struggles. In fact, I think that's what people enjoy most. Is I. I talk about my mistakes. I talk about my challenges, right? There's nothing perfect about me. My plans don't ever work out exactly how I expect them to. Oftentimes I set goals that I don't reach, but I am making progress. And that is what I think is real in the world. And I think it's what more people are looking for. For me, I think I I learned that my magic powers were broken if I were trying to use them for myself. But I always knew for the people who invited me into their world that I could make magic in their world. Hey, tweak this, do that. And then they get this result. And so the vast majority, well, everybody that I was working with last year had their best year from a coaching perspective. They had their best year in business. And that is most exciting for me because it gives me the proof that, hey, this stuff works. But I think the other thing that it does is it kept me close to people who were living the types of lives that I wanted to live. And it was just a function of me solving enough problems and helping them get what they want to get to a place where I could get to where I wanted to be. Because I think if you're helping people solve amazing problems and make big impacts that you should be rewarded for that type of work. So Absolutely. I, I wasn't Absolutely. hiding from it and, I think the other thing, was I as vulnerable with some people as I was with others? No, but that's the whole point of having different layers of the onion related to your, your network. And it's like, hey, this is really hard. I don't know what to do with this because that person can add value. And I, I think the one thing that I've learned through all of this is you got to make sure that you have the right people around you. Right. 
you can have a bunch of people who are just taking from you, never offering anything, never wanting to contribute, never willing to actually make sacrifice so that you can move to the next space. And then there are the people who are willing to give you the shirt off their back if they know that it's going to make you a little more comfortable and you need it. And those folks are rare. And when they come into your life, you better hold on to them like a teddy bear, baby, because you're going to want them back in your world the minute that they leave. And I I think that was the one thing that I learned um, more recently than not is when people don't value you, give them the gift of your absence. And then they will have the opportunity to really understand the value that you are contributing to their life. And it's always my goal to make the life of whoever I'm around better. And I want there to be a noticeable difference when I'm not a part of what they have going on. We all want to be missed. We all want to be missed. I like that. I like that. It's, That's it's, a great way to put it. That was amazing. Well, it makes you feel any better. I always miss you, Jerome. I love I, you, you know, I, 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 <laughs> <laughs> I love you too, brother. Oh man, what what is it? What are you seeing? What are you seeing in our industry right now? Just to circle back and talk a little bit about our, uh, sort of industry biz. What are you seeing in our in our in our industry right now? That's that's going to be that's going to be opportunistic. You know moving beyond the pandemic, moving beyond where we, where we have been in this, in this cloud for the past, you know, 12 months or so, where, where, where are you seeing the horizon lane lane for, let, let's, let's keep it for multifamily because that's, that's our world for the yeah. most part. Yeah. I, I see a couple of things. I see people running out of money. I think the eviction moratorium is putting some people in really tough spots. I don't think they're going to be able to pay their mortgages. And I think they're going to have to do something to make their deals not blemish their record if they have an unblemished track record. So they're probably going to have to sell, maybe at a lower number than what they wanted to sell. And it's going to create some opportunities for folks who have strong track record, who have liquidity and have net worth where they can go take down a deal that others may not be as interested in. I see people overpaying. And I think that's going to create opportunities for those who actually understand how to analyze a deal and understand the risk associated with operating a deal in the next two to three years, once those folks get into it, they see that their rent targets are not achievable. They see that their delinquency is higher than what they expected. And they see that they can't run their property at $100 or $150 in expenses on, on a monthly basis per unit. And I think we'll be able to, again, come in and buy those at a reasonable price. I'm absolutely terrified with a lot of the new people who are moving into the space and watching them run over the hill because they pay somebody 30 to 70 grand for education and they're buying a deal that doesn't work. It, it terrifies me, but they're doing a deal just to say they did a deal so that they can justify the money that they spent in education. Um, and I guess that's the last piece. I, I see a change in the way that education is done in multifamily. I see more people interested in doing deals that are a little bit smaller because there aren't as many people pursuing them. I think people are going to go into tertiary markets because they'll be able to pick up some stuff that they can't get anywhere else at a reasonable price per door. I, and that's that's really what I see. I I, I see some of the money fleeing. I see people going to self-storage. I see people doing ATMs when before all they did was multifamily. I think if you're buying the right size property and you're buying at the right price, you can make real money. But it's it's become uber competitive for the syndication groups. I think the syndication yeah, the right the are, right price. That's what you that's what that's the that's the key word is the right yeah, price. Yeah. Yeah, that's been so elusive in our in our world, you know, for, for the past few months. I don't think you buy at the right price if you buy from a broker. I think you've got to get direct to sell. I think that's the only way you buy at the right price, even if you're just saving the brokerage or the realtor commission, you know, brokerage commission. That's that's yeah, but that's really tough when greed drives the market. When greed drives the market, that becomes very, very, very tough. Yeah, I agree with you. And I don't, I don't know that greed is good. I know Gordon Gekko said that it was. I, I think abundance is good. 
I think having plenty is good, but I, I don't, I, when you're greedy, you're only thinking about yourself. Oh, I don't like, I, I agree. I completely agree with you. I don't, I don't, I think I don't like greed at all. Um, I think greed is, is destructive. I think greed makes people blind. I think greed makes people less empathetic. I think greed makes people less calculating uh, of other people uh, and less appreciative. I think greed makes you make bad decisions. So no, I am not, a, I'm not a fan of greed. Um, I am a fan of capitalism, but I'm not a fan of greed. Oh. But that's awesome, right, man. Well, we want to go ahead and go into a couple questions. It's going to be our fire round question. So I actually have a couple here in front of me. Uh, first one is, what's a, what's a strong habit of yours that you've been actually implementing in your life for a long time? I don't know how long long is, but what I could tell you is I, I started running last year this time. As I was, yes, <laughs> yeah, I have to build an appetite for running, man. I, I, I give it up to you guys, you runners. I can't do running like that. No, I can't. I, 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 love, it, I can't. love it. And so I was in a pretty bit bad car accident in 2005 and I still have a couple of torn ligaments in my knee. And so I always said, oh, well, I can't do it because, you know, my knee's going to swell and da, 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 da. But when I got the right equipment and little by little and was desperate for a change in my life. And so I changed my body and a lot of that, a lot of the other stuff around my life changed because I changed my state. Um, I can't imagine not doing it. In fact, I feel guilty when I don't do it to put things in perspective on, on the paradigm shift for me. And I can't say that I ever ran more than two miles in a day, even when I was playing sports. And so to, to pop up and do a, a six in the morning before we get the day started is a regular occurrence for me today. And I never needed to do that as an athlete. You sexy awesome. beast. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm probably going to have to challenge myself because to, to be honest with you, I do hate the word I can't. I say that jokingly just because running, I mean, I've been a soccer player most of my life. We ran. Um, but we ran literally across from one field to the other. But the difference is I never really focused on me having to control my breathing and just having a steady pace on running. I'm just kind of everywhere. So the shit, it's a little bit different. Um, but the fact that you guys are kind of building it up for, for something, I can be personal, but it can be something like John. John just enjoys it just for us as a hobby. But I think I'm going to go ahead and challenge myself and just go see if I can see how much I can actually go for on a, on a long, long-term run. Just because I know I have to build up on it, but I always like a, a, a challenge. I'm going to email you a link on YouTube I want you to listen to on your run. And I guarantee you'll go okay. further than you ever thought you could go. <laughs> without question. Okay. Okay. I'm, I'm going to look forward to that. Well, we have to get Francisco out first to start running, and then we can we can we can we can get him to listen <laughs> to that kind of stuff. Put the earbuds so. in and let it go. People think you gotta have music. Or, I'm gonna give you something that's gonna put you on fire. You're gonna find okay. The, you're gonna find the uh, what do you call it? Uh, flow state. You're gonna find the flow state, and everything's gonna turn off, and you're just gonna go. It's crazy how it works. This is gonna be the red pill for me. Be careful. I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to swallow the red pill for me to go ahead and jump into this. Careful, <laughs> you never go back. <laughs> I love it. I love it. What's uh, another another quick fire round question for you, Jerome? Is uh, what are you? Um, uh, what 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 are you doing? What are you reading these days that that keeps you educated? Uh, and it doesn't have to be a book. It doesn't have to be a novel. It doesn't have to be just. What? How do you keep yourself updated? On a regular basis. Yeah, I, I am a book guy. I'm always working on something for me. Either I make a mistake or I get hurt or I know that I need this in order to move to the next space. And so my favorite book from 2020 was Sizing People Up by Robin Dreek. And it talks about how do you build trust and how do you figure out who to trust? I've trusted mm. a lot of people I shouldn't have been over the course of my life. and. I wanted to stop that, especially as, you know, my network was growing pretty rapidly. And so I had to be 
very discerning with who I let in and who I kept at an arm's length and who I never wanted to see. And so I spent a ton of time digging into that and then applying and testing to make sure that I actually understood what was going on. So that book for me was a game changer. Nice. Well, I'm sorry. What is it again? The name of the book? Sizing People Up. Sizing People Up. I like it. I'm not the cop that I one. I like it. Yeah. Another, another question I have for you. When, when are you most inspired? When I see somebody get what they want. Doesn't matter what it is. But when somebody set out to get the thing done and they actually catch it, right? They actually accomplish the goal. That for me is, it sets the world on fire for me. I see fireworks. I, I, I can see them spiking on an energetic level. And that is intoxicating. Absolutely intoxicating. I think you just described uh, my daughter. Because for every, everything, she, she wants everything. <laughs> so just to see her just light up just for anything, even the smallest little toy, even just for ice cream. I mean, I live for those moments. Yeah. So, I mean, I think, I think I can relate definitely to that. You know, and the tragedy, I know it's rapid fire, but I think the tragedy is as men or apex performers, and I've even seen it in some women, we get caught up in this, oh, I don't need to celebrate. This is just what I do. You're not a robot, man. That's true. Like, yeah. You you need to enjoy it. You need to celebrate. One of the uh, things that, you know, John taught me last year is you got to live, man. Like, you could kill Mm -hmm. yourself trying to do all this stuff, but like, are you actually living life or are you just going through it, going through the motions? And, you know, it's easy to get caught up in that when you're desperate for an outcome, you're desperate for change. But once you get out of survival mode, you need to figure out how to thrive. You need to figure out how to live. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and I, I, you know, I, I, and, and by, by the way, that doesn't mean you have to necessarily be uber wealthy or rich to, to, to do that. And, you know, it, it, you know, for you to live your life, it just means that you have to take the time to enjoy, you know, the, whatever things that you have in life, whatever you have access to, whatever the small joys that you have, you know, if you live near, to me, if you live near a park and, and, or a beautiful greenway, enjoy that. You know, if you live near a mountain, go, you know, go take a mountain trip. If you have a bicycle and can go riding and can go mountain biking, then, then do that. You know, whatever, whatever it is that opens up life for you on a regular basis, do that and make yourself feel alive and, and, and not just living. You know, so that's, that's absolutely, I 100% believe in that. Um, um, and one last question: How can how can the listeners get? Can I? I'm pretty sure there's a lot of listeners who are already very familiar with you, Jerome. But how to our new listeners and and those who don't really know and just barely getting to know you uh, after this episode? How can they connect with you? How can they get in touch with you so they can take the red pill? Yeah, man. So we're we're launching a new website, and the best place to go is going to be JeromeMyers.co, J-E-R-O-M-E-M-Y-E-R-S.co. You can find out all the nice. things that we have going on. Nice. Any, any social medias that they can probably want to go ahead and get in touch with you as well? We're on LinkedIn every day, hanging out in the halls, man. Same handle. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> soon soon yeah. coming to Clubhouse near you. <laughs> iPhone ready. <laughs> <laughs> yes, baby. Yes. Oh man. Oh, man. Well brother, it's I been re- it's been a pleasure and more than a pleasure having you on. And it's I an appreciate honor. I appreciate all the nuggets. I always appreciate you. You know that. You know how sure. much love I have for you. Feel the same way yeah, about and you. We guys. definitely need to get together the next time I'm I'm on the southeast. I know I know I missed you the last time that I was out there, but the next time I go out there, we definitely all all of us we need to get together. Well if they ever open up California, I need to come see the Pacific Ocean. <laughs> It's been a long time since. I've hey, been Disneyland out there. is opening up next week, so yeah. uh, you can get ready and come out here. If Disneyland's open, you know California's opening. Jerome, thanks again for joining, brother. I appreciate it. Thank you guys for listening and uh, follow Jerome. Jerome Myers. We'll find him on LinkedIn. Find him on his website, JeromeMyersMethod.co. Is that right? No, Did Jer- I say it right? JeromeMyers.co. JeromeMyers.co. Yeah, dot, dot yeah. co. JeromeMyers.co. 
And uh, yeah, we'll, we'll catch you on the next one. Thanks for listening to the Jalal Azar podcast presenting Breaking Resistance. Make sure to keep the conversation going by following us on Instagram and LinkedIn and check out our latest projects by visiting www.peak15cap.com. I'm Jalal John Azar. And I'm Francisco Herrera. And this is Breaking Resistance.